0: Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking together at verses 8 9 and 10 and 14 and 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're coming to the end of our series uh, On Our Way Home, entitled On Our Way Home or On The Way Home. And we've been looking at this series with, with this principle in mind. And that is this, that the life that God gives us is radically transformed when we live understanding what God in Christ has for us at the end of it. That we are on our journey, we are on a journey home. And when we understand what home is, it transforms the way we make our way on that journey. That what God has for us in Christ is fellowship with Christ in a body remade like Christ and a body that we will have forever. When we understand what God has for us, it transforms the way we live for him here and now. Now, we saw last week that the Apostle Paul uh, declares that his life is actually transformed by a deep commitment he has made to Christ because of what God has promised in Christ. Because he knows that he's heading home. Because he knows this isn't home. Because he knows that he is heading for Christ, a new body, a new experience of life, and a Perfect life eternally spent with Him because of all those things. Paul says, I have changed my purpose. I live with one purpose, and the purpose of my life is to live always pleasing Christ. Not pleasing myself, not pleasing others, pleasing Christ. I used to live to please myself, I used to live to please others, but now, knowing what I know, Knowing what God has for me, I now live always aiming to please Christ. Let's take our Bibles and turn and look and begin at verse 9, verse 9, and see that declaration. And then I want you to see with me why he makes the declaration that he makes. So Paul says, So whether we are at home in this physical body, Or away, that is, separated from this physical body and present with the Lord, waiting for him to return, waiting for his second coming when when the old body will be transformed, made made like Jesus' body. While we are waiting, regardless of whether we are at home in this physical body or away, separated from it and in the presence of the Lord, we make it our aim to please him. Why? First he says, I make it my aim to please him. Look at verse 10 for or because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Secondly, he says, I aim to please Christ and only Christ, for, look at verse 14, the love of Christ controls me. Christ's love for me directs me, controls me, impels me, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. I know why he died, that those who live might no longer, watch this, live for themselves, might no longer, watch this, live to please themselves, but might live for him who for their sake died and was raised. The one who loves me so deeply and so well calls me to live my life pleasing him. So Paul's response to God's promise of a new home actually points us to three realities. We find them in this passage. He shows us in this passage first what the end of the journey home means now and what it means now is a change in my intention, a change in my purpose. I intend now the change that has come because I know what the end of the journey is. The change is now I live to please him. My aim is to please Christ and Christ alone. Knowing what I know about the end of the journey I've come to realize something that it brings now, and I've also come to realize something about what it offers now. And so he shows us what the end of the journey home means now, brings now, and offers now. We looked at this first one last week, and this is what we, we saw as we looked at the first. Paul says, I have learned to live knowing what God's going to bring me, aiming to delight him rather than disappointing him. We said last week that one of the great uh, uh, character qualities of God is He's not like the human fathers that many of us had. He's not like the human mothers that many of us had who could never be pleased, or not like some of the coaches we've had for whom we could never do anything right. Our God, our Father in Christ, He can be pleased. He can be delighted. In fact, He wants to be delighted in and by us. But at the same time, He can be disappointed Paul says, my aim is to delight him, not disappoint him. We also learned last week a great truth, a great law of life, and it is this. We are most pleased with life and living when God is most pleased with us. If you try to find your pleasure for life and for living in anything other than Him, you will always be unhappy. You might know happiness for a little while but eventually you will be unhappy. It is just the way it works. You set your bar, define whatever you want to define as success. You can reach it. You can accomplish it, and what you will find after you've reached it and after you've accomplished it, that that success was not enough. You aren't pleased. You aren't satisfied. You're not made full. The only time we are pleased with life and pleased in life is when God is most pleased with us. There's something about his smile. There's something about his smile There's something about his smile on our lives. Today we want to look at the final two. We want to look first at what the end of the journey home brings now. What the end of the journey home brings now. Look with me. Paul says, what the end of the journey home brings now is an awareness. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. It is an awareness of what the end of all things includes and involves. What does it include? What does it involve? It says, I aim to please Christ because I know when I get home, this is what's going to happen. You ready? Verse 11. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Here we have a second fact related to the believer's future that prompts, that motivates Paul's ambition to please Christ. There is coming, Paul says, for all believers at the end of this journey, not only a person-to-person communion with Christ after death, but also a person-to-person time of judgment, a time of review with Christ. Now, if you write in your Bible, you take notes in your Bible, I want to encourage you to write this down because you need this with this passage. But this judgment that we see mentioned in verse 10 is not a judgment for condemnation because as Paul says elsewhere in Romans 8, he says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The judgment of which he speaks here is a judgment not for condemnation but a judgment for evaluation. So take a pen, take a pencil, mark right there where where it says the judgment seat of Christ. Make a note for yourself, to yourself. This is not for condemnation. That's been settled. That's been dealt with. Jesus is taken care of my condemnation. He received it for me at the cross. That's done. This is a judgment. This is an evaluation uh, of my life. So there's, there's a, 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 it's a kind of accountability. and a, a kind of accountability. Now look with me here. Paul says, I live knowing this, that because Christ is the end and the goal of my homegoing, I understand that there is, watch this, a compulsory appearance required of me before Christ's judgment seat in heaven. And I understand, too, that there's not only a compulsory appearance that I'm to make, but I'm going to make it by myself, and I'm going to make it alone. In other words, when uh, you and I come to home, make it home, one of the things we're going to experience is this standing before Jesus. The difference is going to be we're not going to be standing with millions and millions of other believers And uh, uh, having an encounter with Jesus that way. No, no, no. Paul says this is going to be Jesus and me. Each of us, he says in this passage, each of us will appear before the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be Jesus and me. Nobody else. Jesus and me. This is part of home. And in this appearance before the risen Christ, there is going to be a divine scrutiny of his life. A full personal disclosure of the actions he's taken, the words that he has said, the attention that he has given the affection that he has shown the way he spent his time the way he spent his money the way that he invested his gifts and abilities the way that he used everything that god put within his reach it'll just be paul and jesus and his entire life laid out right right now i want you to think what is he put within your reach right now people lives a job, a business, what has God put within your reach? Friends, family, opportunities, what has He put within your reach? All of this, one day, will be spread out before the Lord. Notice at the end of this verse what the purpose of this all is. Paul says, the purpose of it is that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, Paul is saying, one day I am going to receive back from Christ in eternity what I put into life for Christ here and now. I'm going to receive back in the form of reward what I put in in terms of my life and living and my faithfulness. In other words, Christ is going to be examining me, not to condemn me, to see if I'm saved. I'm already saved. I've already been given that gift. That's not the issue. My destiny is not the issue there's a larger issue. It's not my destiny, but it is his delight. He's looking to see what in my life is good and what in my life, the life that he died to give me is evil. Now, now, how do we define that? How do we understand that? What is good Ultimately, in this passage, it's got to be defined, at least initially, by whatever pleases him. Paul says, I make it my aim to please him. Why? Because I'm going to be standing in front of him. I'm going to be standing before him, and he's going to be looking in my life for whatever pleases him. He's going to be looking for my character. He's going to be looking at my character, and what he's going to be looking for are those evidences that my character came to be like his. He's going to be looking for the way I use the things that were around me and the way I influence the people around me, and he's going to be looking for kingdom investment. Was my character like his character, that brings him to light when he sees it, were my ambitions his ambitions? Did, I, did my heart burn to see his kingdom grow and his kingdom advance, to see other people come to know him and come into his kingdom? Was that the point of my life, or, or was something else the point of my life? Now watch, 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 watch. He says, we're going to receive what is due. For what we have done. This is true for you. This is true for me. True for Paul. If we are his. Now what does all of this mean and how are we to understand it? It means this. There is a divine decree. There is a summons. That if we belong to Christ, that every one of us has been given to appear in the highest court there is. This summons, this decree to appear has already been issued. The date is already set. Your time and my time are already scheduled. There's coming something that we can't avoid, and it is part of home. And everyone who belongs to Christ will be brought before him to have their lives reviewed for their results, for the motives behind them. And what Christ will be looking for is that character. What Christ will be looking for is that kingdom investment, because those are the things that he delights in. And whatever he finds that delights him is going to bring reward, Paul says. And whatever he finds that disappoints him is going to bring loss. Now, what does that mean exactly? It means this. That on that day when it's just you and Jesus, there's not going to be any hiding. There's not going to be anywhere to hide. He's going to roll out our lives, if you will, from beginning to end. And he's going to begin to scan our lives. But what I want you to understand is, as he scans, he's not going to be looking to find what you did wrong. He's not playing, I gotcha. Man, in 2020, you were awful. Your attitude was awful. Your Facebook, Facebook posts were awful. You were awful. Do you see that? You were really awful in 2020. You should have been better. No, 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 no. No. All of that kind of thing, that's already been taken care of at the cross. But what I want you to see with me is that he's going to be scanning your life and mine from beginning and end to find what is in your life that brings him delight, that brought him pleasure. He's going to be looking for those actions that brought him pleasure, those words that brought him pleasure, those investments of your time and your money and your gifts and abilities, of everything that he put within your reach. He's looking to find what pleasure you might have brought him with your faith and your obedience. He's not looking to catch you doing something wrong. That's taking care of at the cross. What he's looking for, he's looking to find you doing something that looks like him now what that means is then and I love this it says we're standing before the Lord Jesus part of what will happen when he finds a place where our words and our deeds and our motives behind them all line up and we did something. We said something for the sake of his glory. That was our motive. That when that happens, we're going to have in that moment his smile. And I suspect that Jesus might even laugh with delight and say, wow, 2020, I saw you. That looks so much like me. I saw you, I saw how you, you leaned into me. Your, your faith in me grew. <laughs> you, you were practicing surrender. You were, you were sharing what, what, what I had given you. You were helping some folks out and you weren't doing it to get credit. You were doing it really out of love for me. Oh, I love that. Do you see that? <laughs> that looks just like me. That looks just like me. Now I want to ask you a question. If the Lord Jesus could look at you and smile, if the Lord Jesus could look at a part of your life and laugh out of sheer delight, would that not be greater than 10,000 worlds? You better believe it. There is nothing like having the smile and the delight of Jesus on your life. Do you want to know what part of your reward is going to be this smile that is worth more than 10,000 worlds do you know what your loss is going to be those seasons in your life where there is silence no laughter and no smile because we were living to please ourselves or we were living to please others or we harbor bitterness and sin in our lives and wouldn't let it go no condemnation it's done but the loss. At the very least, is the loss of his smile. There won't be anything we can say. There won't be any excuse that we can give. Do you know how uncomfortable silence is? That's why you've got Alexa going all the time. But the loss is going to be right there. He's watching and looking over expanses, stretches of your life, where he can't see himself. He sees you. He sees you pleasing you. Are you living your life to please others? Oh, yeah, you, you may have gone to church to do it, but it, you weren't there to meet him. You were there for other reasons. going to be the silence. Have a feeling we're going to be standing in those times of silence going, what was wrong with me? Why didn't I just get myself together? (laughs) He'd given me everything I needed to, to, to please him, and I just didn't. But here's the good news. When you stand before him, before his judgment seat, he's going to be looking for the good, for the true, for the right, for the holy. And every time he finds it, he's going to know delight so will you. It will be more than worth it. This reality was something that came personally clear to me January 3rd 1982 I was in church on a Sunday night I was minding my own business when God showed up don't you hate it when God shows up in worship I mean seriously what is he thinking We come in, sing a few songs, get a couple of pointers on how to live a better life, bop on out of here, hopefully they've got good coffee, and we're done. Don't you hate it when God shows up in church? So here I am, minding my own business, sitting there, my Bible open, and the message was taken from 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, and verse 11. If you have your Bible, turn with me if you want to there. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. You, all you got to do is just turn left. Just turn left in your Bible. So I'm minding my own business, and suddenly this was the passage for the evening. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. What is that day? It is that judgment seat day, it is that be in Jesus moment. It is coming. So I want you to notice with me, he's speaking to believers. The foundation that's been laid is Jesus. The foundation upon which that life rests is Jesus. The foundation upon which all of our lives rest is Jesus. But on that day, verse 13, all that we have put on that foundation done with our lives will be disclosed. Why? How? Because Paul says it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So this is not a a fire of judgment. This is a fire of evaluation. It is a refining fire. If the work, Paul says, that anyone has built on the foundation of Christ survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss Though himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's Holy Spirit, verse 16, dwells in you? Now, this is a powerful picture. Paul says, once the foundation has been laid in your life, and that foundation is Jesus, there's no fire that's ever going to undo or end the foundation. That foundation has already been through the fire. That foundation has already been through the fire of the cross, of death, and resurrection. Once that foundation is laid in your life, nobody can move that foundation, and no fire can touch it. You are a believer, and once you are a true believer, that foundation is laid in your life. It's never going to change, but why? that foundation has to be built on. And you can either use the kind of quality materials that'll survive a fire, the gold, silver, the precious gems, those kinds of things, or you can build on your life the stuff that won't last, the wood, the hay, the stubble. Now, loved ones, the problem with this is that the stuff that we think looks so attractive and that matters most is the stuff that won't make it through the fire. And the sacrifice and the selflessness (laughs) that are so unattractive to us now, (laughs) that's the stuff that Jesus says is beautiful and worth everything I've done for you. That'll last. Now I'll never forget sitting in that pew and hearing those words and the Spirit of God spoke to me and he said, Steve, you've got the foundation. But what you're building on it Is nothing but wood and hay and stubble. I said, "Lord, what do you mean? I'd been a youth pastor. I, I'd, I know I don't. You don't. You're gonna find this hard to believe, but I was a worship leader for the student ministry, and I was good. I know. I know you can't believe that, but it's true. And I'd done all these things for him. I'd." Led people to Christ. But I had decided that with my life as a senior at Wake, I was going to either be a lawyer or I was going to go into politics. I was going to do it for him. But that was my choice, not his. And I didn't want him messing with my life. I appreciated the foundation, but what went on top of it was going to be up to me, not him. And he called me out on it, January 3rd, 1982. I didn't want God telling me what to put on that foundation. I didn't want God telling me what to do with my money, my calendar, my education, my time. I didn't want him telling me any of that. I wanted to decide that. But in his mercy and in his grace, he said to me, you've got a choice. And now's the time to make the choice. Because right now, the way you're living, you're going to get silent. No smile, no joy. Be careful, Steve. Be careful. You're mine. I made you mine, but you're building your life on something less. got to choose whatever else this judgment this evaluation this day involves whatever else this fire involves whether it be gain or loss the one thing most certainly or the gain most certainly will involve and include this one thing that Paul now makes his life's ambition the king's pleasure And the king's affirmation. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? We're most pleased with life when God is most pleased with us. Do I remember Jesus in Matthew 25 giving us the parable of the talent saying, I've given some 10 and given some 5 and given some 2? And those with 10 who used it, reinvested it, took what I put within their grasp and invested it for me with an ambition for my kingdom. And those who had five and took it and invested it for me and with ambition for my kingdom. And those with two who took the two and invested that for me. Here's what I have to say to the 10, to the five, and to the two. What I have to say to those who understood what their stuff was for, what their lives were for. Those who understood. Here's what I have to say. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. Now I'm going to let you be faithful with still more. And do you remember what he said at the end? Enter into the joy of your king. I am smiling all over you. I am laughing over you because you took your life and you spent it like a reckless fool for me. You didn't hold anything back. You spent everything you had for me. I am laughing over you. I am smiling over you. And I'm I'm wanting you to know my joy is in you. And I'm going to tell you something, if he says that to you, you will not be able but to enter into the joy of your Lord, because what ultimately makes you happy is what makes him smile. It is required of a man or a woman who belongs to Christ, the scripture says, that they be found faithful, trustworthy. So here's what I want you to do I want you just to move your Bible and everything from your laps. I want you to imagine with me just for a moment everything that God has put within your reach. If you had a good education, it belongs to Him. God giving you a job? Belongs to Him. Has God given you children? Belongs to Him. God giving you a home? Belongs to Him. God giving you neighbors? Belong to Him. They may not know it, but that's why you're there. Got gifts and abilities belong to Him. Have influence, relationships belong to Him. And one day, it's all going to get spread out. Your calendar, your check. Jack- And what you will want more than anything is to catch him smiling and to hear him. Father God, with your word fresh on our minds and our hearts, we know also from Paul that what this home has for us now and brings to us now is an opportunity now. To choose. To choose to live with this simple commitment in all things. I want Jesus to be pleased. I want him to be pleased with the way I conduct myself in, in my home, on the job, in my neighborhood. At school, my relationships, my online time, my streaming time, I want Jesus to be pleased. When he's pleased, I know joy. Oh, Father. Set that deep in our hearts and in our minds. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.